everyone. I'm Gina Trevoloni, and I'm an intern at the Health and Wellness Center this summer. I'm here today with Professor Capeza. We're going to talk about unhealthy relationships and psychological abuse. Hi, Professor Capeza. How are you? Hi, Gina. Good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, to start off, I was wondering if you could just tell a little bit about what you do at Stonehill and your work here. Sure. So I am an associate professor in the psychology department. And my area is social psychology, and basically a lot of my research involves relationships, romantic relationships, and also abuse issues. Um, So I was excited when um, you approached me to talk with you today about psychological abuse. Um, And I teach a lot of courses in the psych department, so research methods, relationships, which is exciting, psychology of women, so a whole host of different courses as well. That's awesome. Thank you. So just to start off, what is actually considered psychological abuse, and how is that any different from normal relationship conflict? So psychological abuse, there's actually a number of different ways that people will define the term, but let me give you what I usually use. Sure. I'm just going to read it to you. Okay. Okay. So psychological abuse is non-physical, aggressive attempts to control and dominate another person, including acts such as yelling, criticizing, derogating, belittling, humiliating, etc. So uh, the key components to our definition is thinking about non-physical aspects of control and domination Mm -hmm. and really making a person feel worthless. And so those are our key elements to, to psychological abuse. And so when we think about that definition compared to just a normal, typical sort of quote-unquote, normal conflict in a relationship. We all have our conflicts. But a a, a typical conflict, you know, we argue, we might disagree, um, things like that. But the actions are not meant to sort of harm and belittle or derogate or control someone. And so those are some of the the key things that, you know, yes, we're all going to have arguments in our relationships Mm -hmm. and disagreements. But when it starts to really escalate to the point where the abuser is trying to harm someone or really trying to belittle or derogate them, put them down, make them feel worthless. Now we're definitely crossing into abusive behavior. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So we talk a lot or people hear a lot about psychological abuse and then emotional abuse. Can you kind of give some examples about how those are different and how somebody would know whether it's psychological abuse versus emotional abuse? Yeah. So uh, some people actually use the terms interchangeably. So, you know, what what one person refers to as psychological abuse, another might just call it emotional Mm -hmm. abuse or even verbal abuse. So sometimes those three terms I've heard just used interchangeably. The way I think about it and the way that I'll use it often in my own research is to think of psychological abuse as sort of the umbrella term the overarching Mm -hmm. term, and then underneath we'll have elements of emotional abuse or verbal abuse. So um, emotional abuse I also think of as being more severe aspects of psychological abuse, so something that is more belittling, derogating, um, harmful, that putting the person down all the time, um, high levels of criticism, those types of humiliation, those types of behaviors will often be threatening. So those are what I think of as emotional abusive behaviors, whereas the verbal abuse I tend to think is a little bit less severe and is more like yelling, swearing, maybe mm-hmm. mild criticism, things like that. It's still falling under the label of psychological abuse, but not quite as damaging or quite as severe as the emotional abuse. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, so what's the relationship between psychological abuse and control? I know you talked about like belittling and putting people down all the time. Is there a certain aspect of control that people mm-hmm. who are psychological abusers kind of are looking for? 
Yeah, definitely. So control is another aspect of psychological abuse. And so when we think of control, maybe uh, we could, you know, put a definition, kind of the idea that a person, an abuser, might try to control someone else's behaviors. So controlling even what they wear, what they eat, any aspect, and who they can talk to, lots of different ways that they could sort of have controlling behaviors. And that is an important component of psychological abuse. And it's one component. A lot of the other ones I've mentioned are others, yeah. right? So as we're already sort of realizing, this is a, a challenging topic often because there's so many ways that we can think about it, so many aspects to the definition. Mm-hmm. One of the most prolific, I'd say, researchers in this area, um, Dr. Diane Folingstad, and she's done research that she identified 17 unique aspects of psychological wow. abuse. Yeah, so... That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. It's so many. And often when we think of it, we just think of a couple. Mm-hmm. But if there's 17 different parts of it, you know, control, monitoring, isolation, um, jealousy, there's so many pieces, manipulation, that, that are there that I think often people don't think of mm-hmm. when they're thinking of psychological abuse. So control is one. Of 17, maybe, yeah. of more. <laughs> uh, there's other, you know, typologies as well. So an important component, but not the only component. Okay. Um, and how prevalent do you or does your research show that psychological abuse is? And more specifically, like, we're on a college campus. Is it more prevalent on college campuses? Yeah. So prevalence rates, I think, are quite shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we look at overall rates of psychological abuse is anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of individuals have experienced at least one Mm -hmm. type of psychological abuse in a romantic relationship. Um, And a lot of that work has been done on college campuses, but it seems to be even beyond just college campuses that that rate is, is pretty high. To me, that's quite concerning, obviously, and shocking. Um, And that we think of it, most of us at some point in our life will likely experience Mm -hmm. some aspect. So the the better understanding we have of what it is and what it means, then we can, you know, help ourselves if we're in that situation. But identify it, family, exactly, identify it. So um, especially some of the more common forms of psychological abuse, which are the verbal abuse, Mm -hmm. the um, criticism, the ridicule, those sort of things that occur quite quite frequently. 80 yeah. to 90 percent. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, and we talked a lot about um, how psychological and emotional abuse aren't physical aspects, mm. but do they always occur with physical or are they two separate things? Like you'll never see physical and emotional together. How do those kind of relate? Yeah, that's a great question. So they can go together. Mm-hmm. So it can be that someone is um, a victim of both, that they're both in a psychologically abusive relationship with those high controlling behaviors mm-hmm. and also highly physical abusive yeah. where they're they're getting physical um, assaults happening frequently. But they don't have to occur together. So sometimes it can just be physical with no, no psychological or emotional. Mm-hmm. And it definitely can be just psychological or emotional with no physical. Okay. So, you know, it, it can go in yeah. a lot of different ways. There's not one sort of set pattern. But I think what's interesting to me, at least one finding that always stood out to me, was that um, if someone is in a relationship with both psychological and physical Mm -hmm. abuse, what the person often will say is that it's the psychological abuse that they find more damaging than the physical abuse. Because they'll say the physical, the the bruises heal, but that emotional um, constantly being ridiculed and putting down and belittled all the time takes a lot longer to heal. Right. So I think above and beyond the physical abuse, psychological abuse is having a lasting Mm -hmm. impact. And so, you know, I think in the research, physical abuse has received a lot more attention. Yeah. And I'm trying to raise awareness, too, that we need to think about psychological abuse, not to say that physical abuse isn't important. Absolutely it is. But 
80 to 90 percent of us yeah. may be facing psychological abuse at some point and they have lasting consequences and you know maybe some work showing above and beyond yeah. physical abuse so something that we want to i think spend equal amounts of time yeah. on that we're focused in and, and we know what this is and yeah. what we can try to do. What are some of the like lasting effects yeah. that a victim of psychological abuse can face? And are they short-term, long-term? Does it vary? What are kind of some of the things that a victim of psychological abuse is going to take away from that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, especially tying into what we just yeah. were talking about with the, the connection with physical abuse. So certainly there's a lot of mental health and emotional health outcomes. So things such as depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. low self-esteem, um, again, those sense of feeling worthless. So those are major components to um, outcomes for victims of psychological abuse. There's also some physical outcomes, so things like gastrointestinal issues that people mm -hmm. will report. Um, and they do tend to be long-term consequences as well. Yeah. So as I just sort of was saying mm -hmm. about the you know bruises tend to heal, but these other things can be harder to overcome. Yeah. That's what the research suggests, that, you know, if someone is, it's going to take time to heal a lot of those emotional wounds that mm -hmm. occur from this treatment of, of psychological abuse. Yeah. Do you think or do you know any research about, like, is it possible to completely overcome those effects? Like, can you be in a psychologically abusive relationship and then later on be in a relationship that doesn't show any signs of, like, that you were a victim of psychological abuse? Or is that something that's kind of always with you? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I think it is always with you, mm -hmm. but you certainly can um, sort of have a healthy relationship afterwards yeah. as well. So some of the work that we, we've done um, has looked at some of these sort of if you're a past victim, mm -hmm. how does that impact your current relationship or your current views of things? And it does have an impact. So now if yeah. a future partner is showing similar behaviors, mm -hmm. you may likely reinterpret those or, or think differently but also in a positive way mm -hmm. we've also shown that sometimes people are like i'm not going to take that i have i've been there i've done that yeah. and i i've overcome you're that you're kind of stronger after so now that. you're stronger yeah. right so you could see it kind of going both ways and part of that's going to deal with that other partner mm -hmm. who is that partner are they supportive are they yeah. not you know so having a positive romantic relationship after a bad one certainly can have a, a much greater impact and are there certain relationships that psychological abuse occurs in more for example like are different age or sexual orientation does that have an impact on the prevalence of psychological abuse so it can occur in any type of relationship mm -hmm. any ages any sexual orientations um so definitely all types of relationships have psychological abuse a little bit of current research suggesting that there may be higher prevalence in homosexual relationships than mm. heterosexual so i think we'll see if if that replicates if there's yeah. more work suggesting that in the future some other work that I've done has actually been looking at some gender differences in terms of a male victim versus a female victim or perpetrators. Um, so, you know, we tend to think of when we're looking at abuse that it's a male perpetrator and a female victim. Mm -hmm. um, but particularly in psychologically abusive cases, that's certainly it's not even always the case in physical abuse. Yeah. But certainly in psychological abuse, it seems to be similar rates of mm -hmm. victims and perpetrators of being both males and females. Um, and interesting, the same consequences occur. So, you know, there are equal levels of depression, anxiety, yeah. and, and negative outcomes associated with the victim, whether it's a male victim or a female victim. So, which is also why I think it's just so important that we're all aware as a mm -hmm. society of all of these factors because it, it can, can impact happen anybody. to anyone. Yeah. There's no you know, set group that yeah. this is, we only need to educate one group. No, yeah. we, we it would be easier if there was like a roadmap, but we don't know. So just awareness overall exactly. is going to be a huge help to everyone. Yes.
Um, you talked a little bit about your research, but can you talk a little bit more about some of the research you've done at Stonehill or with Stonehill students? Yeah, so I've done a few studies with Stonehill students, but one that I think is relevant to our conversation here more. What we did was a study where we just asked Stonehill students, kind of open-ended, broad question, what do you think is psychological abuse? Kind of mm-hmm. like, what is it? Yeah. And and we wanted them to just write, like, you know, what happens during it? What are some examples? You know, what do you think of when you just hear this term? And after they wrote or typed, yeah. we, I think we did it both. Writing is not good because it's bad handwriting. <laughs> we can't read anything. Yeah, you so, don't know what they're trying to say. Who knows? <laughs> so typing, much better. Um, so uh, when we went back and we coded, so we, we had students – I had students working with me, and they coded their responses, and we were looking for those 17 aspects that I mentioned before yeah. that Dr. Folingstad had developed to see how many of them did people come up with. So on average, our Stonehill students came up with two and a half out of 17. So oh, wow. only about yeah. you know, two, sometimes three-ish uh, things that they would really note. And usually what they came up with were things about verbal abuse, mm-hmm. control, um, inferiority. Those were our top three that we got but so many of those 17 aspects they never mention. Yeah. Like they don't mention monitoring, isolation, jealousy, you know, these types of other, you know, behaviors, yeah. lying, deception. Like there's so many aspects, if we think of 17 of them, yeah. um, and we're, we're missing them. So I think our Stonehill students have a little bit of an idea, yeah. a schema, if we want to use a psychology mm-hmm. term, for what it is. But they're missing a lot of, it's more narrow. And I actually did this, the same exact study at a university in the Midwest and found very similar results. So it's not just Stonehill students. Yeah. So it's it's an overall, yeah. Seems to be, you know, uh, something happening here that people tend to have a more narrow Mm -hmm. definition. Do you plan to like expand your research anymore? Certainly. So, um, so that's one study. I'm trying to actually want to try to write that up and get that published hopefully soon. Um, and I, I just did some other work that was looking at the sexual orientation aspect of it. So looking at perceptions, do people perceive a psychologically abusive behaviors Mm -hmm. differently? If it's two men, two women, uh, a male perpetrator versus a female perpetrator and so forth. And so I'm doing some work on those types of questions as well. Yeah. So what I'm thinking is, like, if you did a study and Stonehill students or college students in general weren't really, they only picked up, like, 2.5 of those 17 things, do people that are in unhealthy relationships, do they often recognize it or do they kind of, it goes over their head, they don't really notice that they're in an unhealthy relationship? They may recognize behaviors, so but they if you ask them are you being are you psychologically mm-hmm. abused, they would say no. Most mm. people will not say yes to that yeah. kind of broad question. So when we're doing research, we wouldn't ask a broad question like yeah. that. Rather, we would sort of break it down. Has a rom- has your current romantic partner ever threatened you? Has mm-hmm. your current romantic partner ever humiliated you in a public setting? Something like that. And then yeah. you ask how often has these things happened? Okay. And then people will sort of identify that, yes, those behaviors have happened to me, but that doesn't mean that they then make the link yeah. to saying, oh, wait, I'm, I'm being psychologically abused. So there's still that piece yeah. that often doesn't happen. Okay. And I think that's why they don't always recognize. Um, why is it difficult for somebody that's in an unhealthy relationship to just leave? Like people always say like, oh, if you're not happy with your relationship or you're not be treating right, just get out of the relationship. But why is it so difficult for somebody that's being psychologically abused to get out of the relationship? Well, part of it is what we were just talking about, that they don't often make that connection that these behaviors that my partner is doing is actually abuse. Mm -hmm. They often will think that these are just common things that happen in relationships, especially given the prevalence rates. Yeah. You know, it seems like, well, everybody's in and things happen to everybody. So 
why is my situation any different? Mm-hmm. And so making that connection is often a challenge. Um, and so they they wouldn't even think they're in an abusive relationship, so why would they want to leave it? Yeah. Um, and often another thing that can happen is that people, especially when they're highly committed to that relationship, is that they tend to downplay the seriousness of mm. what's happening to them or they reinterpret it. So, yes, my partner threatened to do something. Yes, they did this behavior, mm-hmm. but they did it because they love me or they did it for this other positive yeah. reason um, or they did it because they were drinking, right? There's always an excuse or something mm-hmm. that they might make for someone because how could we understand someone who's supposed to love us that actually is treating us so poorly? Yeah. And especially when you're highly committed to that relationship, people engage in a lot more of these types of behaviors. And so it becomes very hard to leave or to get out because either they don't know what's happening, they've reinterpreted it, they're very committed to this relationship, or they just don't have the resources to Mm -hmm. leave either. So especially, you know, isolation is a big element of psychological abuse as well. So if they've been isolated from their friends, their family, they're also feeling stuck in that situation Mm -hmm. as well. So they don't really have anywhere to go. Yeah. Lots of differences depending on the individual and the relationship but and do you have any suggestions for somebody that can kind of see that their friend or their loved one is in an unhealthy relationship they don't realize it or they don't understand that it's unhealthy or is there a way that that person can kind of help the person in the relationship realize what's happening yeah it's so hard right because of a lot of what we were just saying Mm -hmm. about how they often will reinterpret and and downplay it so so one thing i i think might help is to look at and and think about how, like, sort of give them an example of another person in a relationship. And so, oh, can you imagine, you know, or or Susie's in this relationship Mm -hmm. and, you know, these different things are happening to her. What do you think about that? And likely they would say that's terrible for Susie. Yeah. Boy, what can we do to, you know, help Susie? And then slowly maybe try to get them to recognize that those things are what's happening in their own relationship. You kind of got to get them out of their own relationship in a way because, We've highly committed to this person. We've been with them yeah. for years. We're reinterpreting their behavior as not so bad. Mm-hmm. But when it's happening to Susie. Yeah, it's a lot easier maybe. to recognize it for someone else than, I guess, to recognize it for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe we can help people sort of make that connection if we get mm-hmm. them out of their own relationship. Yeah. And after, so if you go over the scenario with them and they start to realize they're in an unhealthy relationship, are there any steps that you would recommend to kind of helping them get out of that relationship? Like what can mm-hmm. somebody do to be a supporter of somebody that's in a psychological, uh, psychologically abusive relationship? Yeah, so I think being there to listen mm-hmm. is always helpful. Um, and then also with the resources. So if the person, so I mean, if you're still there and you haven't been isolated, that's, yeah. that's amazing, right? So that's a great first first thing that they know that they can count on you. Um, And helping them figure out where can they go. So, you know, how can they physically leave? You know, Mm -hmm. do they need to help getting a job? Do they need help having a car? So it depends on the level of abuse, Mm -hmm. the level of, you know, how restrictive is this person? Do they they have a job? Are they able to get out of the house? Are they stuck in the house? Right? So um, depending on all of those factors, I think, can can be a guide. Do you need to go get some professional help that you as a friend can Mm -hmm. help them? Yeah. Like, what what kind of connections could you help make for them in the community even might be uh, something to do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to me today. I feel like we went over a lot of really great things that are going to help people and give people more information. Um, Is there just anything else that you wanted to add or do you think we covered everything? Oh, there's always more (laughs) I could add, I'm sure. We could talk all day. (laughs) We could just talk all day. Um, Let me just say one last thing Mm -hmm. as we wrap up. Uh, So much of, I think, what we've talked about and what the research has talked about so far has been thinking of sort of traditional in-person 
psychological mm-hmm. abuse. But now we've got this whole world of cyber, the whole cyber world oh, out yeah, there. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. And thinking about how that translates into psychological abuse. And so I've just started a little bit of work actually here at Stonehill too, mm-hmm. looking at cyber abuse. And I think it's a whole new world. Yeah. Yet a lot of the elements we've talked about are still there. Isolation, monitoring. I think we can do monitoring. I feel like is huge with. You, I mean, yeah. like, so someone on right now, Gina, could know that you're sitting in the library yeah. because they have that location thing on your phone, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so that's a whole new level of thinking yeah. about monitoring somebody and, like, you know, uh, oh, there's so many ways we could we could go yeah. there. So, I, I do think that's another whole big area that we're going to go into because mm-hmm. we're just becoming more, you know, social media, cyber, the whole cyber world out there, our phones, and who yeah. knows what. So just to keep that in mind, too, like a lot of these elements that we've talked about today can be occurring online and social media. It almost makes it easier in a way to monitor, to isolate or, you know, through any of those 17 things. Exactly. So we'll have to keep our eye on that as something to think about. And keep raising awareness of all the different ways and all the different signs and everything. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you again for sitting down and talking with me today. And if anybody wants more information, you can definitely visit the health and wellness website or email wellness at stonehill.edu.